right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. It's a Monday. But it's a happier Monday, possibly, for KU fans and for uh, KU basketball fans out there. Is the Jayhawks, they went on the road, and they and they won. That's right, they won. They beat the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday in Norman, 67-57. We're going to be breaking that down all day today on the show. Michael Swain of Fog.net is going to join the show at 340 to talk more about KU basketball as well. Uh, we're going to get to some Case of the Mondays coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. It's a two-guest hour in the 4 o'clock hour. Brandon Schneider, the Kansas women's basketball coach, is going to join the show at 425. And David Lesky of Inside the Crown is going to join the show at 440 as the uh, Kansas City Royals are ramping up and getting ready to start. Uh, it's almost baseball season. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to our KU basketball takeaways from Kansas' win and also get a chance to hear from Bill Self and what he had to say after KU's win on the road in Oklahoma. Let's start right there off the top here with RCST, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Kansas goes on the road and defeats the Oklahoma Sooners 67-57. to The Jayhawks improved to 20-6 and overall and 8-5 and in the Big 12 Conference. Oklahoma drops to 18-8 and overall and 6-7 and in the Big 12 Conference. Kansas picks up their second conference win this season, and coincidentally enough, their other conference win also came in the state of Oklahoma in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. So they are 2-0 in Oklahoma and 0-5 on the road in every other state that they've been to in conference play so far. You look at the updated conference standings, Iowa State and Houston both sit at 9-3, and but... That's going to change because they are playing tonight in a big-time marquee matchup. Iowa State taking on Houston. That one's in Houston. Baylor sits at 8-4, and four, currently in third. Then you have Kansas at 8-5. and five. TCU at 7-5. and five. Texas Tech 7-5. and five. BYU 6-6. Six and six. Oklahoma 6-7. Six and seven. Cincinnati 5-7. Texas 5-7. and seven. K-State 5-7. And, and then, you know, so on and so forth. So Kansas gets just their second road win in Big 12 play over Oklahoma. And in a lot of ways, this was a classic, a vintage, if you will, Bill Self coached Kansas team on the road. It was an ugly, messy, gritty, grimy, rock-throwing contest of a game on the road that Kansas pulled away in the second half and, and got the win. So in a lot of ways, it did feel like a vintage Bill Self, vintage Kansas road victory in conference play where the defense showed up in the second half and absolutely locked things down, and Oklahoma just couldn't get anything going. But before that, it was an ugly, ugly first half of basketball for Kansas. 
KU trailed basically the entirety of the first half and into the second half quite a bit. And uh, they, they they had a hard time going. They had a hard time with it. Uh, one thing I didn't want to mention here, I was not totally aware, and I guess maybe this is on me, of the fact that the officials, I knew you could go back and review two-point shots versus three-point shots if you guys thought it was on the line. But I'm watching the game, as one does. And KU goes up 7-4. to four. There was a goaltend call against Sam Godwin on Oklahoma. They go to a media timeout. They come back. And the score graphic says five to four, and I'm like, wait a second, am I am I missing something here? Did I did I, did I get confused? And then Fran Fraschilla goes on and explains, oh yeah, you know, uh, they can go back and review a goaltending, which, listen, generally whatever, fine, sure, okay, you can go back and review something, whatever. A two point shot versus three point shot, that is objective. It is foot on the line, foot on the line. It's clear cut. It's obvious. It's black and white. A goaltend is not always necessarily black and white. So I take a little bit of issue with the fact that that was reviewed. So in my eyes, 69-57 Kansas won. But it'll go down to the scorebook officially as 67-57. But yeah, that kind of threw me for a loop at first to start the game. And in the first half, Kansas could have really used those two points. I mean, it was they were, they were grinding uh, really through that first half. Oklahoma comes out and they shoot. 7 of 12 from 3 in the first half. A strong performance from beyond the arc. Jalen Moore hits a pair. JVN McCollum hits two. And uh, Milos Uzan also hits also hit two in, in the first half. And I'm a little I'm a little bit upset. So Jalen Moore for Oklahoma is a guy that he comes out and his first three-point shot of the game was an air ball by about five feet. I mean, it was just way off, way, way off, not even close. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is a guy that's a 42% three-point shooter, 43% three-point shooter. And he comes out and just absolutely, totally airballs his first shot. I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. Well, then he comes back and hits two more immediately after that. So I guess it ended up balancing out. But McCollum hits a pair as well, uh, which McCollum, by the way, with those – the long sleeves, quick little rants about the long sleeves. Those look dumb. I think they look dumb. I don't like the baggy long sleeves. Like, just wear, you know, a tight long sleeve or just something that's not that. I don't know. It, it bothered me. And then it bothered me even more when he was hitting shots off that. So, that was annoying. And certainly the three-point shooting for Oklahoma was annoying, I'm sure. And there was probably a large sense of, oh, boy, here we go again. Kevin McCuller, in his return, Struggled in the first half. He was just two of eight from the floor in the first half for Kansas. And, uh, you know, uh, Bill Self, I think, afterwards said that he looked basically discombobulated, didn't look like himself fully uh, shooting the ball. Two of eight in the first half, one of four from three. DeWan Harris also went 0 of three from three in that first half. And it was looking not great for Kansas. There's about 2.05 remaining in the first half, and Kansas is down 34-23. to And that's kind of when things changed. That's kind of when the switch sort of flipped on for KU. They go down. Jamari McDowell actually gets an offensive rebound and then scores to make it 34-25. They go down at the other end, and Hunter Dickinson scores to make it 34-27. And then Dickinson scores again. Right at the end, right near the end of the half, with about twenty seconds left. Even though it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a messy 
end to the half, but in a good way for Kansas. They end the half on a 6-0 run, and we've, we talk so much about how, you know, just from a mental standpoint, when you are, like, even though being down, like, 11 versus being down 9 or 7, it doesn't, it's only, you know, one possession or a few points. But just from a mental standpoint, single digits feels a lot more doable than double digits, right? So if you can get it down from 12 to 8, or if you can get it down from 11 to 7 or whatever, in this case, Kansas was able to cut it to 5 before the end of the first half, which was huge, huge for KU at that point. And I was a little worried, though, because in the second half, pretty much right away, Javion McCollum hits another three pretty quickly within the first minute of the second half. And I was worried that that might suck the wind out of KU's sails, but uh, it really didn't. Uh, Kansas was able, to, was able to kind of grind things out. One of the notes from the first half that I wanted to make real quick, Kansas did not shoot a free throw in the first half. Didn't shoot a free throw in that first half. In the second half, they end up shooting 18 for 18 total in the game, which, again, you look at 18 total in a game and you think, okay, that's that's really that's fine, right? But then you think about the fact that you didn't get any in the first half. Eh, okay. So uh, you wonder if there was some conversation or if uh, you know things, things changed a little bit. The, uh, the officiating changed a little bit in that second half. Now, the problem, of course, is that KU gets not, KU gets 18 free throws in the second half, and yet they go 9 of 18 on those free throws, which was maddeningly infuriating as well. So, But at least they were getting to the line you know, in that second half. So, And then, like I said, to start the second half, McCollum hits a 3 within the first minute of the half, and I was nervous. I was a little skeptical that KU was going to be able to bounce back and respond, but they did. They responded in a big way. In fact, McCollum hits that three about a minute into the, into the second half. Oklahoma made three field goals the rest of the half. That's right. three. They, they made four field goals total in the entire second half. Oklahoma did. In the second half, Oklahoma shot four of 22 from the floor. And again, it's really, th- they made three shots in basically 19 and a half minutes because that three again from McCollum came within the first minute. Now, they did go 14 of 15 at the line in the second half. So that's where they were able to still get a majority of their points. But, yeah, four shots go in for Oklahoma in the second half. And a lot of that was due to KU switching up things on defense and tightening up their defense. Uh, Bill Self commented on the fact that at halftime, Kansas kind of scrapped the way that they had been defending, especially on ball screens for three-point shooting purposes. And... They really did kind of change how they did that to where basically they were they were they changed their their ball screens to where they were able to get guys out to shoot a little bit quicker and that helped kind of stem the tide of Oklahoma's three point shooting that they were able to make that adjustment. And in a lot of ways I think they were able to make that adjustment because Kevin McCuller played. You know, you think about Nick Timberlake and Omarco Jackson and Bill Self he didn't. He he did. He did kind of mention this. We'll get to that. We'll get to Bill Self audio later on in the show. He did basically mention, "Hey, you know, we made a pretty significant adjustment of how we were going to defend with in terms of hedging screens and whatnot with with Hunter Dickinson and, and KJ Adams. They changed up kind of their their how their post players were going to react to that." And Bill Self basically made the comment of. We were able to make that work because all five guys on the floor kind of understood what was going on. They knew what was they knew what needed to be done, and then Kansas didn't make very many subs in the second half either. So, 
if you want to read between the lines a little bit more on that, basically, I think that's to say, you know, hey, I trusted the five guys, the five starters to be able to to handle that adjustment well, but I'm not sure that I really trusted anybody else, i.e. Nick Timberlake, i.e. El Marco Jackson, i.e. Jamari McDowell. And so the result was the bench played, I think, a total of about six minutes in that second half. I think uh, Parker Brown got in a little bit. And I don't even know if El Marco got in or if Timberlake got in. Jamari McDowell didn't play in that second half, and neither, neither did El Marco. It was, it was Parker Brown for two minutes in the second half and, and Timberlake for almost four minutes in the second half, and that's it. So basically playing your starters all five of your starters the full 20 minutes. And again, I think part of that was because of the adjustment that Kansas decided to make on their defensive side that they felt would help with the with the three-point shooting. And it did. Oh, you go 7 of 12 in the first half from three, 1 of 11 in the second half from three. And so this kind of goes back to that conversation of, well, is it luck or is it defense? And again, Per usual with this kind of stuff, the answer is is usually somewhere in the middle. But in this case, it's you can you can it's pretty defined that KU's adjustment on defense, I think, definitely benefited them from the perimeter. And Bill Self mentioned KU doesn't win that game without Kevin McCuller, and I think he's probably right for that reason. Because I don't know that KU would be capable, willing, or, or willing to make a change like that on defense. And to be able to execute it on top of that, if Kevin McCuller is not playing and instead you're it's Timberlake slash El Marco slash Jamari McDowell. So even though Kevin McCuller, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that he's not hundred percent. And I think it's pretty clear that he wasn't hundred percent playing against against Oklahoma. But Kansas needed him. They needed him. And and again, this this ongoing conversation of well, if you're Kansas and you're still somewhat on the outside looking in for the Big 12 title at this point and you want to win the NCAA tournament, that's maybe your your larger goal. What do you do about t- what do you do about Kevin McCuller? Do you do you say, "Hey, we need you to rest up and get 100%?" Well, here in this game against Oklahoma, he plays 35 minutes. Bill Self made it clear pregame that there was no limitation, there was no minutes restriction on him. And he played 35, which was the second which was uh, the so Dickinson played 36, Furphy and Harris played 37, KJ plays 33. So he played the fourth most out of the starters. But obviously only le- only two minutes less than Dewan and Furphy and one minute less than Hunter Dickinson. So I think there's still some questions there. Dewan was also limping around in that game for, for Kansas. And Hunter Dickinson mentioned postgame that he's been battling a couple different things injury-wise. You know, the, the knee is something that we're aware of, but maybe he's been dealing with something else too. So, uh, yeah, there are still some there are still some question marks. But the bottom line, man, is A, a road win in conference play. They haven't come off in this season. And B, the way in which you did it was in truly vintage Bill Self fashion where you lean on your defense and you squeeze the life out of Oklahoma in the second half on defense. 
held them to four made field goals in that second half, <laughs> which is just insane, really. And you found a way to get the job done. And even though Kevin McCuller wasn't great, just 4-14 from the floor, he hits a big three in the second half that really helps. You got Furphy going again, who goes 3-5 of five from beyond the arc. And I thought there was some interesting conversation with Bill Self postgame as well about DeWan Harris. Basically, somebody asking Bill about, you know, hey, with DeWan, what does he need to do or what, you know, anything like that. And, and Bill Self has made this type of comment previously, but I think this is maybe the strongest he said it publicly in which he was, ba he basically says, you know, Hey, listen, Dewan needs to go and play the way he wants to play. He doesn't need to listen to anybody else. Tell him what he needs to do. You know, everyone, everyone seems to have an opinion on what Dewan should be doing. You know, he should be doing this. He should be doing that. And Bill Self basically said, you know, Hey, he needs to go out and, and just play and just play his game. And in fact, so much so the word Bill Self even said, you know, hey, listen, even me, even, you know, Dewan knows more than I, knows the best way to play, even more than I do at times. So he needs to just kind of go out there and play how he wants to play. Which that obviously, number one, that demonstrates that demonstrates an immense amount of trust that I think Bill Self has in Dewan Harris. That I think, to a certain extent, you've always felt is there, but. A comment like that, I think, really emphasizes it even further. And two, you know, Dewan goes one of four from three in the game, but he was shooting, right? He was shooting. So, Hunter Dickinson had, had a nice bounce back as well with 20 points. Nine of 16 from the floor. 16 rebounds as well for Dickinson. Furphy almost had a double-double as well. He finished with nine total rebounds. McCuller even contributed with eight rebounds as well. So the rebounding was a big boon for Kansas in this game as they go on to win 67-57 to over Oklahoma. And again, the way in which they went about it, I think, really underscores the significance of this game, which is in the first half, he struggled. You made some big adjustments, especially in, in helping with perimeter defense. And in the second half, you absolutely put a vice grip on the game. Oklahoma couldn't hit anything. Really? They couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, going 4 for 22 in the second half. And you were able to rely on your strengths and go out and get a big win on the road for Kansas. And now your reward for that is a week off until Texas coming up on Saturday. So, And obviously, if you're, if you're can't, you know, I have back to back home games coming up if you're Kansas before you finish the year with those. Two out of three on the road against Baylor and Houston. And the way that things have gone this season for KU, while they have struggled on the road, they've generally gotten up for big road games. You know, you go back to the Iowa State game. I mean, it takes really a miracle and some miracle shooting from Iowa State to win the game that the way that they that they did. Especially late with Gilbert dribbling around with his head cut off or dribbling around like a chicken with his head cut off and making that three-point shot late. So I have I, I suspect Kansas will be will be tuned up for, for Baylor and Houston, but got to take care of business at home here coming up. Texas is a talented team, a team that has struggled this season, but they're talented. 
So you gotta you gotta be aware of that. But this win against Oklahoma really kind of steadies the waters a little bit for Kansas, and I don't know, maybe makes you start to buy back in a little bit on the possibility on the outside shot of of KU making a run at the Big Twelve title. But like like I talked about last week, Kansas has to go undefeated. That's a prerequisite for them down the stretch. I mean, they could, again, without a significant amount of help, they could maybe afford to drop one more, but they really need to go undefeated down the stretch. And then they'll probably need some help on top of that. So I don't know if I'm buying all the way back in on that, but I am I am buying back in, and, and I think really this win for me is more about I'm buying back in on the fact that you won a game away from home, right? The NCAA tournament's not played at Allen Fieldhouse. You're going to have to win. Obviously, those are neutral courts compared to hostile environments that you will that you see on the road of the Big 12, but you got to win away from Lawrence, and you did that in a way that I feel pretty confident you could do again in the way you did it with great defense and doing enough offensively. And, and again, with the week off, McCuller, Dewan, Hunter, get healthy, and let's get cooking. So Kansas defeats Oklahoma 67-57. We're going to talk more about that coming up later on on the show. Michael Swain's going to join the show from Fog.net here in about 15 minutes to talk more about that. Also going to get to Case of the Mondays in the 4 o'clock hour. Brandon Schneider, the head women's basketball coach, will join the show also later on in the 4 o'clock hour. It's a two-guest hour in the 4 o'clock hour. Brandon Schneider and also David Leskey inside the crown to talk a little bit of Royals. And then we'll talk more KU basketball coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll take a timeout right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and right now we are joined by Michael Swain of Fog.net. Michael, thanks so much for your time here. And first off, KU gets a big win on the road on Saturday against Oklahoma. What was kind of your biggest takeaway from that game uh, as Kansas got just their second win uh, on the road in conference yeah. play? Yeah, well, I think it's one of those that when you reflect at the end of the season, maybe it's one of the the turnaround moments for KU. And I mean, you can say turnaround, right? And KU before the game was projected to be a two seed. So I think some of these things are, are probably worth keeping in context, but it kind of felt like a vintage kind of Kansas performance on the road. You know, how many times if you watch the Bill self team go on the road and just put together a gritty performance. And I kind of think that's what you saw from KU in the second half, you know, the Jayhawks change their ball screen coverage and, that really changed a lot. And Oklahoma made four shots from the field in the second half. I don't know if I've ever seen um, anything like that in a Big 12 game, um, let alone one this season. So that was really impressive. And I think just the competitive edge that KU had, guys attacking, trying to get to the rim, drawing fouls. Like, KU didn't shoot a free throw in the first half. And I think that says a lot about the way KU is playing. And I think the numbers show just how well KU is playing in the second half. So now it's a question of, you know, you got two more road games, and they're probably the biggest road games of the season. You know, at Baylor and at Houston to end the year. Can KU replicate that? That's going to be the key now, and obviously that remains to be seen. But I think there is some reason to be, con- you know, kind of encouraged here going forward because the things that KU showed on the road against Oklahoma are not the things they have shown in the last few road games. Yeah, and you kind of touched on it there with this, with that game possibly being like a turnaround moment for KU. And and Bill Self kind of openly talked about that, right, last week about maybe searching for that moment. Do you think this game could could be that, right, kind of like you talked about? Do you think it's possible that this could be a game where you look back and say, okay, things started to click there for Kansas? 
I think so. And look, you look at what KU has been this season, and they have competed really well against the top teams. And what has hurt them, I think, recently has just been the, the load on the players. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of football now, and this is what happens when there's no Big 12 SEC challenge, where every team kind of gets a bye week, right, where they don't play during a midweek. And that's so important. And you think about in football how crucial it is, the timing of that bye week. And I think this bye for KU not playing this week is comes at the perfect time because it allows them to reset, get some guys some fresh legs, and then you're ready to go and you go again for the final home stretch of the season. So, you know, I think broadly KU may have found some solutions because the ball screen defense hasn't been great and teams have really attacked the way KU is using Hunter Dickinson and that's why teams are going crazy from three against KU because it's just the way KU is guarding things and they've changed things up. They had kind of they switched a little bit off the ball. You know, KJ Adams was the guy going and defending the, the big man on the screen, and, and that really helped things. So maybe in the long run, that is an adjustment that Bill Self can kind of have in the quiver for the NCAA tournament, for the Big Twelve tournament. When you get into those, hey, you lose and you're done type of games, that type of adjustment is really huge to have in your back pocket. So I think for KU now, it's a question of can they replicate that sort of game and do it again? And I think you look at getting the time of this week and getting it off, I think there's a good reason to believe that, hey, maybe this was that moment that Bill Self kind of foreshadowed, saying that KU hadn't had their gotcha moment yet, and maybe that's what it's going to turn out to be. Yeah, Bill Self had mentioned postgame that he felt that both teams were tired. So, I mean, to your point, it seems like this this break for Kansas has really come at the perfect time, right? Oh, totally, totally. I mean, and look, guys are battling through things. It's kind of like football where you see people out there playing but you don't necessarily know what they're battling through and what they're going through during the week to be able to play on Saturdays. And, and Hunter Dickinson kind of alluded to that. You know, he's someone that has played through stuff this year. Um, he had the, the knee issue earlier, and you know, he mentioned that he's been playing through multiple things. And those are things you don't see, and the fans maybe don't you know account for when Hunter misses some shots and is having to play through a crowd because he is forcing the most gravitational pull of any Kansas player I've seen in a long time, maybe since Doak you know, where you're looking at teams just making him the number one priority, and that's tough to do. So you're looking at him getting some time off. Obviously, Kevin McCullough with his bone bruise is going to get some time off. And, look, I think someone like Johnny Furphy and Dewan Harris, those are two guys that have played a lot of minutes lately. And I think you saw Furphy's efficiency kind of drop lately before Saturday's game. This time off is going to help him. Obviously, Dewan's playing too many minutes. Bill Self has talked about that, and he's going to get some time off too. So you just look at KU, and it's like the perfect time for this team because they have played so many minutes, and I don't think you could have picked maybe a better time to have this maybe a week earlier, but I think just overall it comes at a great time for KU. Yeah, of course, the other guy that's been certainly dealing with injuries that hasn't been playing has been Kevin McCuller. Ends up playing 35 minutes uh, in the game. Bill Self <laughs> said after the game that he felt that KU couldn't win without without Kevin's contribution. And uh, just, just how important was it to have him back in, in your eyes for this game against Oklahoma? Yeah, I think he's the type of guy that allows you to make that defensive adjustment that I alluded to. Without Kevin, you can't do that because you're asking Nick Timberlake or Marco Jackson to adjust a big schematic change on the fly and remember it when the bullets start flying. And the fact that Kevin has been around the block, that he is a, a really smart defensive player, like that type of um, presence for KU was so important. And look, he took some terrible shots. Like the shot selection from Kevin at times this season has been pretty dire. But you look at him in the big moment when he needs to make a three 
and he gets a shot in the flow of the offense, which I'd argue is probably the type of threes he should be taking, oh, look, he makes it. And it's probably one of the bigger shots in the game because it gives KU his first lead since early in the first half. So, look, it wasn't the most efficient performance from Kevin McCullough, but it's one of those ones that just it's winning plays. It's his presence that allows KU to change things on the fly and end up winning that game. So I think Bill Self is right without Kevin I don't think KU wins that game because I don't think they're able to make that adjustment in the second half. And then you're looking at Oklahoma after going, what, 7 to 12 from three in the first half? You're looking at them going probably, you know, something similar in the second half because KU wasn't going to be able to have a big change in their screen coverage. Yeah, and with Kevin McCuller, it's it's such an interesting conversation because he's the type of guy that certainly, I think, if you're Kansas and you want to reach your ceiling, which would be, you know, making run for the national title, you need him at 100%. But obviously, right now in the in the thick of conference play, even if it feels like maybe he's not quite 100, percent you also need to be still getting picking up wins so you can get uh, a, you know a better seed line and adjust to that. I guess where, where do you kind of fall in there? I mean, is it a situation where you feel like Kevin McCullough needs to be out there, or if if he's going to possibly re-injure that knee or, or make it worse, maybe does does KU need to rest him? I don't know. Are, are they kind of past that now with this week off? Maybe they can finally get him 100. percent I guess where would you kind of sit with with Kevin McCullough right now? Yeah, I think it's a tough one, right? I think in in an ideal world you keep playing him because rhythm is really important in basketball. And the last thing you want to do is have a guy sit out for, you know, what, basically three weeks, you know, and then all of a sudden ask him to, hey, it's do or die, get back in rhythm. Like, that's hard to do. I don't care who you are. That That's really challenging. And so Katie's got to keep playing him. I think it's just going to be about, you know, minute load and, and just keeping an eye on him and making sure that, you know, if it's a game that he does not need to play 35 minutes or more, he shouldn't play 35 minutes. Like there could be a game, I think maybe against BYU at home for KU that if they're able to control, I'd love to see Kevin play 28 minutes, you know, because it's those extra high stress minutes where something can happen. And obviously with a, an injury like a, a bone bruise, it just takes you banging knees with someone in a, in a 50, 50 ball moment to re-aggravate that. So I think trying to keep Kevin and KU can do this by playing well, you know, keeping him out of high leverage, minutes playing as few of those as possible i think that's gonna be really important but obviously that's a that's not a given in the big 12 when you consider how good these teams are so i think kevin needs to keep playing they need to keep having him out there but it's one of those they kind of gotta just keep an eye on him and keep an eye on the minutes generally when you look at this win for kansas over oklahoma just how important do you think it was for them to maybe even prove just to themselves that they could win away from Allen Fieldhouse, right? Obviously, the NCAA tournament's not going to be at Allen Fieldhouse. It's not going to be in some hostile environments, but it's going to be on the you know neutral court, mm-hmm. basically. So I guess how important do you think it was maybe just, just for KU internally to say, hey, you know what, we can go and win away from Allen Fieldhouse? Well, I think it's even bigger just for the, the scope of the Big 12. You know, there's a really big game going on tonight. You know, Houston and Iowa State. I think KU fans really should root for Houston to win because – then Houston next weekend goes to play Baylor on the road. And Houston's not been great on the road this year. And they've got some okay wins, but when it comes to those big games, like at Iowa State, like at Kansas, they've lost those. So in that world, then all of a sudden, then KU's what, a game back at Houston? Then they're, you know, you just got to look for maybe Iowa State to drop one more. And then KU can control their own destiny to get a share for the most part, you know? So I think when you look at KU now, it's all about having that confidence to go on the road to play at Baylor and get a win there. And then if that happens, you're going into the final week of the season with the chance to, um, if you can beat Houston, if Iowa State loses one more game, like there's a chance that KU can go to Houston on the final day of the season. And if you win it, you get a share. And, and that'd be pretty big. So you look at this game, I think it's going to give KU plenty of confidence going into that Baylor game and, and subsequently that Houston. 
and uh, for Kansas off their bench, Jamar McDowell ends up getting the same number of minutes as Marco Jackson, albeit just four, but he made some critical plays, especially late in the, in the first half. Do you get the sense that Jamar McDowell's role could expand a little bit more here down the stretch for Kansas? Not really. No, not really. Um, I think, yeah, you know, Bill, <laughs> it's one of these situations where if Jamar McDowell is playing like that, it means that something's happened. And I think what happened there in the first half was that Self really wanted to try and have it be where maybe Kevin doesn't have to play all 20 minutes of the first half and where some of those guys can get some rest in the first half. I look at Jamari, and, yes, he has some good plays, and he brings effort and intensity. But I think there are still just some mistakes that happen there that when you get in these high-leverage games, I just don't know if you want to have that sort of um, roll of the dice, if you will. Right, you know where you don't know which which side the dice are going to come up on, and I think that's a tough situation. Um, so maybe it's maybe he gets you know a chance in the first half of a game, but I'm not expecting him to get consistent playing time going forward. Just because I, I just think Self has his rotation, I think he knows who he trusts, and it's really just going to come down to foul trouble and, and who's available to play, and if everyone is available, right, those kind of top five, six guys, then I'm not sure if Jamar's going to get a lot of minutes. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of unfortunate, right, because of the fact that sort of his him dealing with the flu coincided with Kevin McClure not playing because I think if there was an opportunity maybe for him to possibly get more uh, of a role or expand his role a little bit, it would have been during that time, but he was unavailable also. So that kind of maybe hurt his chances, I guess, right? Totally. It totally did. It's one of those, it's just a bummer. You know, you think about for him, Key being shorthanded, you think about Nick Timberlake playing 30 minutes against Baylor. Like, yeah, Jamar McDowell would have gotten some of those minutes against Baylor and against Texas Tech. And maybe those are moments that can help him in his own development at Kansas. But I just, it's just tough to see. And it's a bummer for him, right, that it coincides with another guy missing time. And it's just sometimes the things don't go your way. And it just doesn't feel like things went Jamari's way this time. We're talking with Michael Swain of Fogged on that here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Besides KU playing against Oklahoma on Saturday on, on the basketball court, there was some, some big news on the football field as well for Kansas, or I guess off the field really, uh, in their offseason. As uh, Scott Fuchs it was reported uh, maybe leaving Kansas to go to the NFL to coach with the uh, Tennessee Titans. Uh, how big of a loss is this, Michael, in, in terms of KU trying to keep their staff together? They lose now another assistant to the to the NFL in this case. Uh, what, what was kind of your instant reaction to, to that news of uh, Scott Fuchs leaving KU football? Well, I can't say I'm surprised. You're going to see a lot of college coaches look to go to the NFL. That's uh, the fact of the matter. Coaches do not want to deal with re-recruiting players they already recruited and dealing with NIL and players coming to them and saying, hey, you know, people are telling my people that I can get this much money at a different school. You know, what can you give me? Like, that's not fun. That's not fun if you want to coach football. And I think just from seeing how, you know, Scott Folks worked with his offensive linemen and just hearing about how he dealt with things, like, he's got a love and there's no place better to do that than the National Football League because of all the things going on, like I mentioned, in college. So it, it was not a surprise. I think just broadly when you say, hey, this college coach got the chance to go be uh, a coach in the NFL and be a pretty high-ranking person in the offensive line room as a coach, like, yeah, I, I totally could see that. Now, for how does this impact KU? I mean, look, I don't know if there's a better offensive line coach in Big 12 than, than Scott Fuchs. Like, what he did with Kansas' offensive line you think about the evaluation of Dominic Pooney and his development at Kansas, where now, I mean, Dom could be a, a second-round pick. Like, that's huge. 
and you think about the cohesion that Kansas had along the offensive line. Nick, Kansas had, I think, like 43 sacks in nine games in 2020, and the next year in 2021, I think they had 12 in, in 12 games, something like that. Like It's incredible the turnaround that KU had under his watch, and so losing him is huge. And at this point in time, you know, you're looking at a lot of college coaches have already signed their contracts for next year. Spring football is starting up at some schools in the next like seven to ten days. So it's tough. The timing-wise of this is tough because the pool of candidates may not be the same as it was for KU to go hire a new offensive coordinator like Jeff Grimes or for KU to hire uh, D.K. McDonald um, to replace Jordan Peterson. Like It's a much smaller pool right now. So it's kind of a challenge, obviously, the timing of it. But I think you know, Lane Feipel is probably two for two in my book on off-season hires and We'll see what he's able to do here with uh, the, deck kind, the deck kind of stacked against him. So it is a big loss for Kansas. Obviously, they do return um, several starters, thinking about Kobe Baines and Michael Ford and Bryce Cable do. Um, and then it's kind of a question of, all right, this new offensive line coach, like, is he able to come in and kind of build that same unit and that cohesion that Scott Fuchs was able to do where K's offensive line, even though it didn't have several first-round picks like Texas's offensive line had, it still was able to compete at a high level and really provide a great platform for KU's offense. So I'm fascinated to see who comes in next as the next offensive line coach because they really do have big shoes to fill. Yeah, and you mentioned Andy Kolnicki and Jordan Peterson as well, departing early in the offseason. I guess between those three, where would this one rank for you, you think, in terms of significance of losing uh, Scott Folks? I think it's number one, honestly. Offensive line is one of the most important positions in football. And we've seen for Kansas, this Kansas program, not under Lane Flapple, but past coaching staffs, like the offensive line has been a weakness because it is hard to recruit those big bodies to Kansas right now because you look across the country and, you know, a lot of those guys end up going to the SEC or the Big Ten. And so the development and the ability to build a unit out of guys that, hey, maybe they aren't all going to be, you know, day one or day two picks in the NFL draft, but they're guys that when they play together and play as a unit, they're able to play at such a high level where they can rival an offensive line that has those types of draft picks. So I think for me, like you look at what KU has lost, like Jordan Peterson was awesome, a great recruiter, a really good developer. But I just, you look at the offensive line, it's such a hard position to recruit. It's such a hard position to develop and build the unit. And the fact that Scott Fuchs did it so well for KU, I think that's what makes him probably the biggest loss of this offseason. With Kansas football, spring, spring, Ball, just around the corner, what what are some uh, other important dates maybe that Katie fans need to keep an eye on as uh, spring ball gets started here soon? Yeah, so I think, you know, in terms of the dates, we'll, we'll see. I, they haven't announced what day it'll start. It will be later this year. Um, just a, that's a product of, I think, uh, the construction and just everything going on. So it'll, it'll start later this year. Uh, things to keep an eye on, you know, I think defensive line is going to be a big one. KU has to have guys step up. Because you lose Austin Booker, you lose Gage Keys and, and Devin Phillips, and those are three really key players for KU last year. And they got Javier Derrett from uh, North Dakota State, who I think can be a really impact player, but he's got to take some steps forward, right? His first year at the Power Five level, it's going to be a big spring for him. Dylan Brooks, you know, transferred from Auburn last year, he's got to have a big spring. He's got to have the same trajectory over the next nine months that Austin Booker had. Like it's that's what KU needs from him, and so I think defensive line is going to be really critical. I think trying to see who um, steps up and maybe takes control of that left tackle spot could be really interesting too. So, look, you know, football—it's <laughs> a year-round sport now. So I'm excited to see kind of what happens with spring ball because I think there's plenty of things to watch. 
He is Michael Swain of Fog.net. And if you want to read more and see more about uh, spring football coming up for KU and, of course, his great KU basketball coverage as well here down the stretch, be sure to check him out over at Fog.net. Michael, you got anything uh, happening over there right now you want people maybe particularly to keep an eye out for? Yeah, lots of basketball recruiting. You know, we're, we're heading into the portal season, but, <clears throat> excuse me, there's plenty of uh, high school basketball recruiting going on, so we got plenty of updates um, on some recent visitors, some guys maybe near the decision. So, VIP subscriber, make sure you're checking that out. And if you're not VIP, you can join today for just a dollar. Once again, he is Michael Swain from Fog.net. Michael, appreciate your time as always, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, most definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Michael Swain of Fog.net here joining us on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. In the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to get to Brandon Schneider, the head women's basketball coach. They got a big win over the weekend against BYU. We'll talk to him coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Also, David Lesky of Inside the Crown will join us to talk Royals baseball coming up at the 4 o'clock hour as well. Still have to get to our KU basketball takeaways in the 5 o'clock hour. Plus, we'll get a chance to hear from Bill Self coming up as well later on in the show. Also, uh, to get his postgame reaction to KU's big win over Oklahoma. One hour down, two to go. Case of the Mondays next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 13. 20 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Case of the Mondays here coming up. Before I got into Case of the Mondays, though, I did want to make mention of something that I actually forgot to mention earlier in the show. Uh, I did want to make mention of, of the news about Scott Pollard uh, getting a heart transplant. Really, really fantastic news there. Uh, just an incredible story. If you haven't heard about it or checked it out, uh, there's actually a story in the, in-app, in the uh, Indianapolis Star, I believe it is, they did a good job of, you know, kind of talking about that. Uh, really remarkable stuff there for, for Scott Pollard. And uh, certainly uh, my heart goes out to him. I mean, literally, I guess literally, but metaphorically also. An incredible story. Uh, and hopefully he's he's well on his way to, to recovery. And obviously as a as a former, you know, co-host slash guest here on this show on Rock Chuck Sports Talk, I feel like uh, we're, we're, we're tied together through that. So a uh, shout out to Scott Pollard there uh, as uh, over the weekend, some really, really positive news for him. All right, let's get into our case of the Mondays now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. It's a Monday. Who's having a case of the Mondays? Honestly, I'm having a case of the Mondays pretty much every Monday. But <laughs> we go forward here. First up on case of the Mondays. Case of the Mondays for the NBA dunk contest and also Kenny Smith. Uh, so the NBA All-Star Weekend happened over the weekend involving you know different events and it culminated in the All-Star Game. Which, by the way, the All-Star game, uh, I, I think you could hardly call that a game. 
it was the highest scoring quote unquote game in history because it was really just guys dribbling around shooting threes and all kinds of stuff. And uh, two eleven one eighty six, the East beat the West. But the one of the real storylines of the weekend for me was the was the dunk contest for a couple of reasons. Number one, it seemed very very much rigged uh, for the most part uh, in terms of the scoring. The judges there was some very very questionable scoring involved. Uh, in the contest that uh, I think a lot of people were pointing out. and uh, Mac McClung seemed to be the, clearly the best dunker. And Paul Pierce, by the way, had a hilarious tweet about this that basically said, the dunk contest is your ex-girlfriend you keep going back to where you think it'll be different and uh, then it isn't really. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny too. But also, Case of the Mondays for just me being connected with pop culture because there were also some individuals that were involved in it that I was like, Who? Excuse me, who? Uh, so yeah, maybe that's that. Maybe that is the case of Mondays for me. So yeah, you have questionable scoring, the quality not necessarily the best. Also, my eyesight. Uh, I mean, my goodness, I can't even hard. I couldn't even hardly see what was going on because I was getting blinded by the by the court. Uh, and I, I I saw some people with some mixed reactions to that. I hated it. I really really hated it a lot because uh, I, I I couldn't see. I mean, it was it was terrible. So it was just a all around. Not great on the dunk contest. And then on top of that, you on top of all that, you throw in Kenny Smith, who was seemingly, I think it was safe to say that he'd maybe had a few too many beverages of some kind and uh, was just absolutely ripping on anything he possibly could. So that also added to the really just chaos that it was overall. So... Yeah, Case of Mondays for the NBA Dunk Contest. Maybe you need to go back to the drawing board on it. I don't know. Maybe simplify it. Maybe make it to where you go back to. First of all, I mean, there there were there have been some great years, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things where it's just some years it's going to be bad, some years it's going to be good, and there's and really no matter how you format it, no matter what you do, that's just going to kind of be how it is. Maybe that could be true. Honestly, uh, that that could be true. But yeah, I don't know. This year. Kind of a swing and a miss here uh, for for the contest for me. Uh, case of the Mondays for people who watched Wake Forest play Virginia on Saturday. This game was brutal. It actually, I mean, all things considered, it ended up having a, I guess, a somewhat exciting finish. But what? So Virginia, they are playing Wake Forest on Saturday. Virginia in basketball, and everybody, of course, knows Virginia basketball. They, they're slow. They play a lot of defense and whatnot. Well, that went to a whole other level in the game on in the game against Wake Forest. And this was actually a game that did have a little bit of significance for the ACC conference race or ACC conference, I guess, tournament really. But the final score in the game, forty-nine to forty-seven, Virginia Virginia got the win, forty-nine to forty-seven. But that doesn't necessarily do it justice, I don't think, about how this game played out. Especially in the first half. There were multiple instances, multiple instances, of over three minutes of game time taking place without either team scoring. That's right. Multiple instances of over three minutes of game time with neither team scoring. And you know, normally you see that and you see maybe one team had a long drought and it was a run for the other team. No, this was both teams. This was no scoring for multiple sequences of 
over three plus minutes without anybody scoring. In the first half, they didn't have a bucket. Neither team scored from the 1450 mark in the first half to the 1056 mark. So that's that's actually four minutes. Nearly four minutes without any points. Then from the eight-minute mark to the five-and-a-half-minute mark, again, no points. <laughs> no points. That's nearly three minutes for both teams. Just, uh, just, just, uh, I just feel bad. I just feel bad for for people that were forced to watch that game. And like I said, it ended up being a, a pretty exciting finish to the game, 49-47. And Wake Forest had a chance at a, at a shot to try to tie the game late or possibly win it. And uh, they, they did not hit, so. I'm sorry. If I were a Virginia fan, if this was Cavalier Chalk Sports Talk and I had to roll in on Monday to talk about a 49-47 game, it would be pretty dire. It would be pretty dire. Now, I know there's probably somebody out there saying, well, hey, 67-57, that's what the final score was, KU Oklahoma. Listen, that's totally different. I mean, you got significantly more. You got 40 more points, basically. Uh, 30 more points, basically, I think. Way different. Way different. So, case of Monday for people who had to watch watch Virginia play Wake Forest. Uh, case of the Monday for the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. So, on Saturday, the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee comes out with their top 16, their initial top 16 for what it would be uh, in, the, in the NCAA Tournament if it were to break down, if it were to happen, you know, like today. And so, they released their top 16. It's got Purdue in there at number one overall. It's got Marquette in there. Kansas was in there as well. And then those teams go and lose. They release their rankings on Saturday. Purdue number one overall. They immediately lose. Marquette gets blasted. Wisconsin, who was in the top 16, loses. Auburn loses to Kentucky. Just a disaster. So even you know even when they release these types of rankings, you already realize you already recognize that. It's not really that. It's not really that important. I mean, it's a it's a good way to sort of gauge, I guess, where they're at. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's not really going to matter going forward. Which, by the way, Kansas was the uh, number eight overall seed, so the last two seed in the rankings. Purdue was number one. UConn was number two. Houston number three. Arizona number four. Those are the four ones. But of course, obviously. Already, that's changed. I mean, UConn would be the number one overall seed if they were to release another top 16 today. So, and Marquette at the seven overall seed, that would cert- that would certainly change. They did put North Carolina at the fifth overall seed, which I felt was a bit high. You know, Iowa State at 11th overall, that's, that would probably change a little bit. But then Auburn loses, Wisconsin loses. So, case of the Mondays for the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee for... Uh, <laughs> their rankings and then having them immediately kind of get screwed up by some losses over the weekend. Case of the Mondays for Doc Rivers. Now you may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute. Doc Rivers, he was the coach for the NCAA, for the NBA All-Star game and on the East, in the East one. How could he be having Case of the Mondays? Well, put him on here for some comments he made over the weekend. So, you know, the Bucks a couple weeks ago, they decided to fire their head coach and move on 
and they went ahead and decided to hire Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, of course, at this point is—I mean, he's really—he's really kind of become a, a a journeyman coach, I would think, considering uh, considering the different teams that he has coached at this point. Of course, most recently on the 76ers. Then he goes to the Milwaukee Bucks. They had the Milwaukee Bucks, or the Milwaukee Bucks, I should say, higher rivers on January 29th. That was his first game. Or January 26th when they hired him. January 29th was his first game. And Doc Rivers comes out over the weekend and makes some comments. This is a direct quote, direct quote from Doc Rivers. Taking a job when you're about to go into the toughest road trip of the season is not the smartest decision. I even told them that. Can we wait till the All-Star break? <laughs> it would have been a lot nicer. So Doc Rivers is basically mad that he took the Milwaukee Bucks head coaching job and they struggled because, again, he claims it was the toughest road stretch of the season for the Milwaukee Bucks. So you go back, you, you, you go back and look at this. So he gets hired. His first game was January 29th. So January 29th was they were actually they were at the Nuggets. After that, they went and played Portland. Then they played Dallas on the road. Then they played Utah on the road, followed by Phoenix on the road. And in that stretch, they went one in five or one in four in that, in that five game stretch. Since hiring Rivers, they've only won three games. So, uh, yeah, and then he wants, but he wants to blame that on you know the timing of it, the fact that he got hired before the toughest, you know, toughest toughest stretch of the schedule. Then he added beyond that, he had another quote from Rivers said that the job has been probably more difficult than I thought. Which again, strange. Did he think it was just going to be easy with Giannis and uh, and Damian Lillard? It was just going to be an easy job. Oh yeah, pff, easy. Come on, I'm Doc Rivers. I can go higher. Yeah, no, but the excuses are pretty incredible uh, so far from Rivers already. He's only he's only like ten games into the job, so impressive impressive work there, truly, from Doc Rivers uh, on uh, on first of all. Th- I mean, th- this this could easily be on lie detector test also that the that being a head coach is probably more difficult than I thought. Uh, you think? Speaking of head coaches. Who are uh, having a bad time. Case of the Mondays also for Rick Pitino and or St. John's players. So Rick Pitino goes from uh, goes over to St. John's as their head coach in the offseason. And St. John's right now is in the midst of losing eight of their last ten games. And that culminated in a loss for them over the weekend against Seton Hall. In which they lost uh, to the Pirates. That was uh, on Saturday, I believe, was when they lost. Or it was yesterday, actually. They lose yesterday. They lose yesterday, 68-62 against Seton Hall. And as I said, they have now lost eight of their last ten. And after the game, Rick Pitino kind of went off, but in a bad way, really. Uh, and basically said that his team was unathletic, can't stop fouling, they're slow, they can't stay in front of anybody. And this all culminates really with him saying that that he described being the head coach of St. John's as the most unenjoyable experience I've ever had, which is just absurd. I mean, that's just absurd. 
an incredible comment. But, but yeah, I mean, and first of all, to kind of go back to the Doc Rivers thing, Rick Pitino takes the job, and he's the one that's responsible for crafting the roster. And so when you go out and you just hang your players out to dry and say, unathletic, can't stay in front of anybody, they suck, they can't stop fouling. Buddy, you're the one that got those players. You're the one that, re- that recruited those players. You're the one that got those players out of the transfer portal, wherever you got them from. It's you. It's you. It's always been you. You're the one that did this. So it just, it just <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that one. Uh, Rick Pitino having, is certainly having a case of Mondays. And again, the St. John's players might be having a case of Mondays more so here because of the fact that you, you know, if you, after a game, you're in the locker room and you hear your coach just ripping you like that, that, that can't be great. That, uh, that, that, that can't be a particularly fun thing. So I, I don't know who's having more of a case of Mondays. Is it, is it Rick Pitino who says that his team can't guard anybody? Or is it maybe his players because they, uh, fortunately, they're getting ripped. And obviously, that includes a former KU player in Zuby Edgefer who transferred over to, to St. John's. And uh, they are struggling. I, I believe they're now 14-12 and 12 on the season is uh, St. John's. Yeah, 14-12. and 12. They've lost three straight, 8 of 10. It's not going great for them. And it, again, has seemingly culminated in... The, what transpired yesterday with uh, Rick Pitino ripping into his team. So, all right, that's case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Plenty more to get to throughout the show today. It's a two-guest hour this hour. We're going to be joined by Brandon Snyder coming up next. And coming up in about uh, 20 minutes or so, we'll also be joined by David Lesky from Inside the Crown. So, Brandon Snyder coming up next to talk uh, KU women's basketball's big win over BYU over the weekend and more. They're on a five-game win streak right now, by the way fighting back for a tournament spot uh, in the NCAA tournament. David Leskey has had the crowd to talk. Royals coming up later on this hour. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to uh, some more KU basketball takeaways from KU's win over Oklahoma, plus get to Bill Self and hear what he had to say post-game after meeting with the media after KU's win over uh, Oklahoma. Brandon Schneider of KU Women's Basketball is um is coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and right now we are joined by a special guest from the Kansas women's basketball team, head coach Brandon Schneider. Coach, thanks so much for hopping on here. Before we get into kind of what happened with the BYU game and, and whatnot, I want to I want you to take me back a little bit to the game against Oklahoma in Norman. It was a close loss for you guys. It dropped you guys to 10-10. and 10. Five wins in a row since then. What was the message to the team at that point that maybe you think helped spark you guys now to what you've done over these last five games? Well, I think, um, you know, collectively we all agreed that uh, we had an opportunity to turn things around. It's one thing to say it, but uh, we felt like we really needed a plan in in terms of how we were going to go about it. And, um, you know, we really uh, identified some defensive things that, that we felt like we could improve very quickly uh, that, that might jumpstart um, the run that we needed. And then going into this game on the road against BYU, mm-hmm. you got just two points from Tyana Jackson, but, but still found a way to grind it out. What, what was the difference for your team in that game, you think, despite the fact that you had some foul trouble from Jackson? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, some, some really good uh, play off the bench. Um, and then our, our veteran guards in, in Franklin, Mayberry, and Kerskeeter, 
um, you know, really just kind of willed us, uh, willed us to victory uh, on the offensive end, and, and we were able to, uh, to mix some things up defensively with all the foul trouble uh, to get enough stops. Yeah, how much extra confidence does it give you as, as a coaching staff to know that on any given night it feels like you have so many veteran players that some of them can step up to get you guys a win? Well, I think especially this time of year, um, it's, it's very encouraging to know that, um, you know, on, on when, when a certain player is having an off night or is in foul trouble, uh, that, we, that we have the ability to continue to, to compete and position ourselves to, to win games late. Yeah, and it felt like that game on the road meant a little more. What, what was special about this particular win for you guys in Provo? Well, first off, it's our first time ever being there. Um, it's a hard place to play. They had a great crowd. Um, you know, the, all the adversity with the foul trouble, um, the, the score going from we're up nine to up five because of score, uh, score errors, um, you know, to overcome all that, I think uh, is just a testament to our grit and toughness. Yeah, how did you kind of help maintain your team's composure during that time, right? I understand there was there was a bit of a long pause there. What was kind of that experience like, and how were you trying to keep your guys, your your players going in the huddle? Yeah, really, you know, really just trying to educate them on on the situation once we knew what was going on. Again, I mean, we were as a staff, we're making coaching you know decisions based on being up nine, and um, in in reality, uh, I guess we were only up five, so that was frustrating uh, because I think you do things very differently uh in the in those scenarios but uh you know really just trying to keep the players focused on the next possession and then what we're trying to accomplish this guy franklin got you 24 points in that game despite also having to leave at one point with an injury what can you say about her performance in that game against byu yeah just really tough and, and gritty and um as as i said earlier just really willed us uh it, with her ability to get to the basket and finish plays uh, you know, knowing that we weren't able to play through the post and, and get paint points, I think really just took it upon herself to be very aggressive. And with Holly Kurskeeter, she started conference play really strong from the perimeter especially, and then when dealing with injury kind of dipped. What's impressed you the most about her coming back and, and refinding that rhythm again that that she had earlier in conference play? Yeah, I mean, Holly's been shooting the ball great all year long, and I think uh, – you know, is is uh, playing with a lot of confidence right now, and I would really point to her activity on the defensive end um, as is one of the reasons she's playing so well offensively. She's just really engaged, uh, active, get, is getting deflections, um, oftentimes uh, is defending the uh, opponent's best shooter. Um, is just right now, you know, a complete player for us in our program. You had four returning senior starters, a lot of veteran players that you've talked about, but Samaya Nichols, a freshman, comes in, and it feels like really was able to seamlessly integrate into the team. What what was it about her that you think allowed her to be able to do that, to come in and, and be successful for you guys right away? Well, I mean, first off, it, I would say her skill set and her versatility, which we knew uh, you know, throughout the recruiting process, but I think the thing that, that you don't know about a player until you get the opportunity to work with them is just kind of their overall mental makeup and, and um, you know, her, her poise and her composure, um, her, her ability to perform late in games uh, when the stakes are the highest, uh, I think is, is just well beyond her years of experience. 
Yeah, when you have a player like that, was there really maybe a specific moment where you realized, man, you know, she could be a, a, a player that could really, really be a big factor for us this season? Was, was there a moment maybe, you know, early in the season where you kind of felt that, wow, you know, this, this could really be something this year? Yeah, I, I would go uh, probably all the way back to the tournament, the Cayman Islands, when we played two top ten, uh, you know, programs back to back. And uh, there was just no back down uh, from her at all. And um, I thought, uh, you know, she's she's been without question our most consistent player all year long. And three of your last four coming up down the stretch here are against top 25 opponents as your team continues to fight for that NCAA tournament spot. What's going to be the key for your team here down the stretch, including a big road game coming up against Baylor? You know, I just think, obviously, taking one day at a time and, uh, you know, having really good film sessions, uh, having short, crisp practices, and, um, you know, understanding the stakes. Yeah, and at this time of year, obviously, you know, you guys have battled through this long season. Is it is it more about kind of the mental side? Are you trying to help, you know, keep your players fresh at this point in the season? What What's kind of that like for you? I think that's really important, especially with the amount of minutes, uh, you know, that our guys are playing. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's a good time of year uh, for, for maybe, uh, you know, minor adjustments, wrinkles to things that you've been doing, um, you know, as you get ready, especially to play teams a second time. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think really trying to identify the things that, that we're doing well, uh, let's, let's continue to replicate that. Uh, and, and continue to improve on on the things that uh, we know that can make us a better team. And you got Baylor coming up, as I mentioned. That's a team that you guys really handled pretty well at Allen Fieldhouse. What's going to be the biggest key for you guys now going on the road and trying to find success again against the Bears? You know, the same that it was here, and that's uh, transition defense. I mean, they're elite uh, in the fast break. We've, we've got to play great transition defense, and uh, we got to rebound. Um, it was probably our best rebounding performance of the year. Um, they're extremely athletic, extremely aggressive, uh, a team that you just have to keep off the glass. Yeah, and to that end, Tyana Jackson, I kind of mentioned it, dealt with some foul trouble against BYU. When you have a player like that that had a game like that, well, what's going to be the key for you to kind of get her to, to, to bounce back in this game against Baylor? Well, I think we've all got to make really good decisions in uh, you know, making sure that we, we do what we can to keep her out of foul trouble, whether that's defensive adjustments, whether that's, uh, you know, making some offensive calls where she doesn't have to screen as much and put her at risk of illegal screens, um, you know, just working with her uh, to do everything we can to keep her out of foul trouble. He is head coach Brandon Snyder for the Kansas women's basketball team. Coach, appreciate your time as always, and good luck coming up against Baylor. All right, thanks. That was Brandon Snyder, head coach for the Kansas women's basketball team, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks so much to the head coach for coming on. And, of course, they'll be taking on Baylor, a top 25 team, on the road in Waco. Touched on it there at the end. That was a team that, that KU beat by 20-plus back at Allen Fieldhouse earlier in the season. But the Jayhawks now on the road to take on Baylor coming up on Wednesday night. And you'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN with pregame coverage starting at 645 for a 7 o'clock tip-off between Kansas and Baylor coming up on Wednesday night. We'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to shift gears as David Lesky of Inside the Crown will join the show next. Talk a little bit about the Kansas City Royals with baseball season right around the corner. That's coming up. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. 
I'm Nick Springer, and well, baseball season is coming up around the corner as we're getting ready for spring training, and that means that we will get to we re-welcome back our Royals guest here, David Lesky on Rock Jock Sports Talk. And uh, David, unfortunately, you know, no Derek. I know you're really bummed about Derek uh, being gone, but uh, he's no longer with us. So it's still alive, obviously, hey, but, you know, he's just not on the show anymore. I, I, I love Derek. I uh, I love Derek. I love talking to you. I love I love coming on this station. So been, this is, um, oh, my God, this is year 11, I think, for me. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, I think it was 2014 was the first year I started coming on. So, um, yeah, it's been a, been a long time. That's um, awesome. But, hey, ready for another year. Yeah. Well, and thanks so much, obviously, for your time, of course, over the years coming on and, and talking rules baseball here. Uh, okay, off the top here, I feel like we've got to get to the biggest news probably. Well, there's been a lot of big news with the Royals, really, but I think the biggest news probably was the news of Bobby Witt signing his, his contract extension. You've kind of talked about it in the offseason that you felt that this is something that the Royals might do, but did, did you really believe, I mean, did you really believe that, that this was something that, that they were capable of, of doing if they were going to go this way? All right, first of all, I thought you were going to ask me about Garrett Hampson. I'm not prepared to talk <laughs> about but I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, going into the offseason, I, I had heard... Well, I mean, the the end of season press conference that had Quatrero and, and JJ Piccolo, they they talked about Bobby Wade Jr. and um, I mean, it's kind of a duh. Of course, they're going to try to get him signed, but yeah, there's there's a risk in even mentioning something like that without having a decent idea that you can get something done. Um, there's also a risk in not mentioning it because you're just going to get skewered for that. So maybe maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't. But then. Uh, people who I talk to, um, just around the game, around who know some things about what's going on with people and places and things and all that, were had a really optimistic tone, um, and so it made me believe that hey, yeah, this is something that um, that they're they're going to try real hard to do and something that they can do. Um, and I also think that look, I'm not naive enough to believe that there's not an ulterior motive here of we want to get a yes vote on a new stadium. And uh, coming off a 56-win season, there are a handful of things that need to be done. Um, and one of them is getting Bobby Witt Jr. signed long-term. And, and so I think there was some extra motivation from, the, from ownership's part, not, not just to keep a great player, but to you know, tilt some votes. And so, yeah, I, I think I'm not surprised it got done. I, I, I maintained all winter that it was going to. I didn't think it would happen as early as it did. I thought it would be a lot closer to voting day. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all. Um, and the numbers actually weren't too far off from what I wrote about early in the offseason. So um, kind of made some sense there. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it got done. I think, I think all parties are glad it got done. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on my next question here. But, I mean, given the stadium situation – do you think that maybe made them want to get this done quicker or that it kind of increased the, the you know, the, the, how, how, what they wanted to do? I guess, how much do you think that the stadium situation really maybe did impact the timing of this as well? Oh, you know, I don't know because from, from a baseball perspective, it made sense. Like, it, it, even if you take the stadium out of this, he broke out in 2023, Bobby Witt Jr. Um, and if you wait longer, you can wait, but he's just going to get more expensive because he's just going to be closer to free agency. Um, so logically this was the time to get him signed. I mean, realistically the time was before he came up, if you want to get the best deal possible, but and not everybody's on board with that. And then the next best time would have been last off season, but also he was coming off a fairly average season where look, there, there were some holes in the game that you may be worried about 
giving a long, long-term deal to. Um, and so after last season, this, this just made sense baseball-wise. I, I don't know how much the stadium pushed it because of that, but I also think that it was a, hey, if it, if it, if it takes $25 million more, don't worry about it. It's worth it. So I, I think that may have been a little bit the, – the, the stadium may have been what made the negotiations a little bit easier because the Royals were willing to spend a little more money knowing – Knowing what a yeah, what a what a what a new deal could mean for that vote on April second. I think you wrote that uh, this was the Royals gave out the the fourteenth largest guaranteed contract yeah. in in MLB history. Yeah. I guess when you kind of take when you kind of zoom out and look at it from the macro from the Royals as an organization, uh, a deal like this for a for a club like this, what do you think that means about their ambitions possibly going forward as a team and maybe even as a championship contending team in the future? Well, I mean, I, there's a few things. One, I think it eliminates any excuse moving forward. Um, you can't say we can't give this money out because you did. Uh, and I, I, teams, they, they might say it, <laughs> but, but there is no longer a, uh, there's no longer a response of you, you can't come back. Uh, you can't come back and say, well, you haven't done it before. So I guess I believe you because they've done it before. And so from that perspective, they've shown they can spend some money. Um, I think from a bigger picture, I think it shows future players and current players that, hey, this, is, this isn't a guy who's going to get traded in, what, a year and a half. Because I think if you don't get a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. signed, you trade him at the deadline with two years plus two months of control, which is the deadline of 2025. I mean, w- w- without a contract extension, they were looking at another year and four months of Bobby Witt Jr. And now they're looking at, you can, well, we can talk about the exact numbers what you're looking at, but he's under team control, guaranteed for seven years, potentially for 14 years. Like this is, you're no longer looking at 2025, and so that that's attractive to young players who are maybe willing to sign extensions, like Vinny Pasquantino. Um, it's attractive to free agents who who may may want to come in in the future. Not happen after a lot of guys sign, so. You know, maybe there's not anything to be done this winter, but next winter, you know, there's, 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 I'm sure there, I haven't looked that far ahead yet, but there's a bunch of guys that could help the Royals and they, they have a pretty good feeling that if they sign a four year deal or whatever, that they're going to play alongside Bobby Wood Jr. for all four of those seasons. So I think there's a lot, lots of that as well. And, you know, ultimately it's just, it's, it's the, it's a good message to send to everybody involved. Does it sounding like this in some ways, maybe put more pressure on this front office and in, in control in these next couple of years to, to move this thing forward. Do you think? Um, I, I think they have that pressure. I'm not entirely sure that it's because of this signing. Um, I, I mean, the whole off season has been busy. They've, they've, they've brought in after uh, Saturday's trade, they have now brought in nine players, um, assuming health that will be on the opening day roster that we're not on the roster. We're not even in the organization. Um, what six months ago? Whatever the five, four months ago, whatever the season ended. Um, five months, whatever it is. And that that that's pretty huge. I mean, that that's more than a third of the roster. You expand that out a little bit, and you you add James MacArthur, Cole Reagans. Um, I'm sure I'm blanking on somebody, but you're looking at 11 out of 26 guys who were not on the team, not in the organization to start 2023 who are expected to be on the opening day roster in 2024. There's 
going to be an expectation to be better and to win soon. I, I, I look, I know Vinny Pasquantino at, at Royals rally. Is that what it's called? The new thing that they have at the stadium, whatever it is, <laughs> he's, you know, he said, we expect to contend for the division. That's, that's great. I, I want the players to believe that. Um, I think the expectation for the front office is they, they may have until 2025 to get this done. Um, that's not to say if they win 88 games and don't make the playoffs that they're going to get fired <laughs> because I think that that's, you know, I think that there's some, some reasonable expectations to be put in place, but they need to be competing for a division next season, if not this season. Um, and, and these moves, I, I think show that. And if, you know, if they don't take a step forward this year, and of course there are always caveats. If, if it's a injury issue, who do you blame? I don't, I don't know that you can blame anybody for if Waka and Lugo and, and Witt and Pasquino miss time. Well, okay. How, how good are you really going to be anyway? But if they don't win 75 games this season, if they end up at 64 and 98, I would not be surprised to see some heads roll. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting conversation. And to that point about, you mentioned the off season and, and what they've done already just, Big picture wise, how would you grade kind of how this offseason has gone for the Royals to this point? I, it's hard to say anything but an A, in my opinion. Um, I think the outside moves they've made, I wrote this last week or two weeks ago, I'd give them a B, B plus on the outside moves. When you add in the wit extension, it, it brings the grade up. Um, they filled, they did, they did what they needed to do. They needed to bring in starters. They brought in two legitimate big league starters. They needed to rebuild the bullpen. Um, now with the trade of John Schreiber, who got some some reservations about this deal but with that move they've brought in four legitimate big league relievers to add to hopefully uh james MacArthur building out what he did in september hopefully john mcmillan being healthy um all of a sudden you look at that bullpen you go there's there's some talent back there they 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 probably won't blow the six to three lead as often as they did in 2023 um they needed a middle of the order bat i don't love the renfro signing but you know, it, 21 and 22 combined, he had 60 home runs with like a 120 weighted runs created plus. I think that there's um, a pretty, a, a decent chance that he he gets back to something close to that level. Um, if he does, that lengthens the lineup. They get, you know, Vinny Pasquantino comes back, that's not a move, but um, that, that really helps the offense. I, I don't, I like Garrett Hampson as a utility guy, actually. I don't love the Adam Frazier deal, but they... They have really raised the floor of this roster quite a bit, and um, you know, I, I you got to commend them for that. I, I I don't know that they're done, to be completely honest. Um, gosh, I can't remember when this was. Maybe about four or six weeks ago, something like that. Somebody mentioned that they were talking to Matt Chapman. Um, Matt Chapman still isn't signed. Like. <laughs> hey, if they were talking a month ago, I don't know why they wouldn't be talking today. And look, I know that I, I, I don't really see a spot unless they make a trade, um, which is possible. But I mean, they had a, a legitimate great defensive third baseman who can hit for some power. I look, I know people love the potential of Michael Garcia, but he had an 84 weighted runs created plus last year. I'm not at 16% below average. Um, there, there are moves that can be made with a Matt Chapman signing, which I don't know that I'd love, um, but would make the team better. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they've, they've done what they set out to do, which is, is a good thing. When you look at the moves they've made, 
which one do you think you like the most, and which one do you maybe dislike the most? Um, boy, the one I like the most, I you know either Lugo or Waka. I think that you get a legitimate big league starter in there, but probably Lugo actually. Um, I think Waka probably do for a little regression, which is fine. Um, you know, regression even if he's still a, a four ERA guy, giving you. 17 outs to start, which is what he did the, the outs wise in, in 2022 and 2023, even if he regresses down, you know, three quarters of a run in the RA there, there's a lot of value in that Lugo. I, I think there's some interesting upside considering his age. He's what 34, I think. Um, but just got back to starting last season has some really interesting pitch data. Um, I could see him taking another step even, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of innings under his belt because he was in the bullpen for so long. And then the Padres gave him that shot to start, and he did, he did really well last season. And I don't know that I'd be shocked or anything if he if he fell off a little bit, but I think there's some upside with Lugo there, and, and I I really like that move. What about uh, what about on the other side? What you didn't like the most that they made so far? I mean, probably Adam Frazier, which is. If you're disliking a one-year, four-and-a-half million-dollar deal, I feel like <laughs> you're pretty happy with the off-season. I, I sure. think that I, I just I don't I'm not I'm not an Adam Frazier fan. I, him or him or Renfro, the two deals I, I disliked were those two. Um, and Renfro is because I yeah, he's not much of a defender. He has a great arm. He can throw anybody out anywhere. That that part's there, but. You know, I, I worry a little bit about the bat decline from, from last season. And again, he was really good for two years in 21 and 22, which is not that far removed. Um, but Frazier, I don't know. The defensive numbers were really bad last season. Not much of a hitter. Um, I kind of feel like, hey, there's really no reason. If you're going to go, if you're going to find somebody who can give you depth for Michael Massey, I think there were better ways to do that. And um, that's. Just that's my least favorite, but again, that small of a deal being the least favorite, it's that means I feel pretty good about the moves. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with David Lesky here of Inside the Crown on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David, obviously, the other big issue going on that's been kind of ongoing was the stadium situation for the Kansas City Royals, and that's been up in the air. But we have renderings now, got some renderings recently. Uh, <laughs> did that, I guess, seeing it, kind of seeing maybe what the vision the Royals have, did that maybe kind of change your opinion at all about the situation or how things have unfolded in regards to this potential new stadium? Well, I mean, I think that there have been some fumbles along the way. I think that it's not been handled the best on, on all ends. Let's, I don't think the Royals deserve all the blame here. Um, I think they deserve a lot of the blame for, for a lot of the, the missteps. Um, I like the renderings. I think the area looks really cool. Um, I think I've said this before, but I, I was urged – to remember that the renderings are just renderings. There's things that could change. It's not, that's not what the stadium will look like when it opens up in all likelihood. Um, so, um, keep that in mind, I guess. But, you know, ultimately, aside from the fact that I don't, I'm, I'm vehemently personally against public money building stadiums for billionaires. Um, that, that's a, I don't agree with it. Um, I know it's going to happen. So <laughs> it's one of those things that like, I, it, it's easy to be against it. One, because I'm not a Jackson County voter and two, because it's going to happen whether I, whether I believe in it or not. I really like what they've shown. Um, I think that, I think that's really cool for the area. I love the cap over the highway. I love the walkway between, um, 
almost said Sprint Center, T-Mobile Center, and <laughs> um, and the new stadium. I love all that. I think it's really cool. Um, I think it'll be a really cool stadium area, all that stuff. So, like I said, whether I believe it should happen in the way it's going to or not, it's going to. So, it's uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I just wonder how much you you mentioned kind of maybe some of the fumbles or missteps they had along the way, but the you know the renderings I think overall were 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 accepted pretty positively by the public. I just yeah. wonder if that really affected public sentiment towards this project in a more in a more positive way. Yeah, maybe it did. Um, I, I think it's it, it the Royals made it easier on themselves by making the moves they did leading up to that un- unveiling. Um, I wonder what people would have said, and we'll never know this. But had they had that been what they what they showed in was it September, August, whenever it was, they showed those first when they were looking at the North Kansas City and the um, East Village sites. If they had showed this rendering then, before, you know, while they were in the midst of a hundred lost season, before they signed anybody, before they got wit signed, I wonder how that would have been received. Um, but it, we don't know, and it was it did seem to be received pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. He is David Lesky of Inside the Crown. David, appreciate your insight as always. Uh, anything you want to promote you got upcoming over there on Inside the Crown right now? I don't actually know what I have coming up. I'll probably have something. I'll probably do a spring training um, guide, I guess. I think I did it last year. Um, Restaurants, stuff like that, that I, I like at least. So, you know, if you, if you have taste like me, you'll enjoy that one. Um, otherwise, I'm not really sure what I have coming up yet. But um, I, I am... For paid subscribers, I am going to be giving away two memberships to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Um, I go to Surprise. I go to Arizona March 1st and 6th, and I'm going to pick two winners when I get back. So if you're a paid subscriber, you're eligible. I'm also going to give away opening day tickets to, paid, to a couple paid subscribers. So it, it's a good deal. It's worth it. There you go. You still have time to head over to Inside the Crown and to support David and all his great work. And, of course, David, appreciate your time. As always, looking forward to chatting with you once again as we dive into another Royals upcoming season. Yep, I can't wait. Uh, thanks. That was David Lesky of Inside the Crown joining Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on the show. Two hours down, one to go. We're going to get to more KU basketball talk coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Also going to hear from head coach Bill Self coming up as well in the 5 o'clock hour. That and more coming up. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Just had a great conversation with David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Also had head women's basketball coach Brandon Schneider on the show earlier in the four o'clock hour. Uh, and also Michael Swain of Fog the Net came on the show early. If you missed any of those conversations, you can check those out on the Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, including at KSports.com, presented by Massage Envy. All right, let's get to our KU basketball takeaways. Kansas defeats Oklahoma 67-57 on the road in Norman on Saturday afternoon. Just Kansas' second road win in conference play, but it comes really at a much-needed time as the Jayhawks improve to 8-5 and five in conference play and stay within touching distance a little bit of the top teams in the Big 12 uh, in Houston and Iowa State and Baylor at this point. Still going to be tough for Kansas to try to bring home the Big 12 title in the regular season, but... Nonetheless, a much-needed victory to sort of steady the waters a little bit for Kansas after a big loss on Monday night, last Monday, against Texas Tech. And now the Jayhawks have a week off to prepare for Texas coming to town to play at Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. And uh, biggest positives from this game for Kansas defeating Oklahoma, I think number one has got to be just 
the way in which this game unfolded and getting a vintage road win uh, under Bill Self and a vintage Kansas-type Bill Self win in which you really just squeeze the life out of your opponent in the second half. It was great defense. The Kansas smothered Oklahoma. They made halftime adjustments that were very effective and led to uh, this big win and changing their three-point defense and shutting down Oklahoma. So to me, that's probably the biggest positive is you went on the road in an area where you'd really struggled this season and you faced some adversity, double-digit deficit late in the first half. You fought back, and then in the second half, you ramped it up a notch defensively, made some adjustments. Oklahoma didn't have an answer. They couldn't hit shots, and you were able to come away with a a gutsy, gritty, grimy victory on the road uh, against a against a team that, listen, at this point is 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 you know top twenty five, top thirty team in Oklahoma on the road. So, really impressive stuff from Kansas, and I think that's that's got to be the biggest positive. I think uh, at this point for KU. Uh, coming off that game against against Oklahoma. Another big positive for me was Johnny Furphy getting his three-point shooting going. He goes three of five in the game for Kansas, and that's significant because Furphy, again, he you know he'd been dealing with an illness, I think, that was affecting him, but his three-point shooting had been had dropped quite a bit uh, since really since the since the start of February. You know, you go back to that game against Houston, he goes three of four. Then he has back-to-back games in which he doesn't hit a single three. He went 0 of 4 against K-State, 0 of 6 from 3 against Baylor, even though Kansas won that game. So 0 of 10 in those two games. He, he did go just 1 of 3 against Texas Tech as well. So it was nice to see him uh, go back up to a nice 3 of 5 performance from beyond the arc shooting for KU. That's something that Kansas is going to continue to need uh, down the stretch here. Certainly Furphy to be an aggressive shooter and, and a dangerous shooter, right? And a dangerous shooter. So I was really impressed with Johnny Furphy's play. He ends up playing, by the way, the second most minutes of the game. He played 37 minutes, and uh, DeWan Harris also played 37 minutes. So I think that shows a lot of trust, right, that Furphy has developed. And, and Bill Self has, has always mentioned how bright he is and how smart he is. And and I think that's demonstrated a lot by the fact that you think about the major adjustments that Bill Self talked about that, that KU made. We're, we're going to get to Bill Self's audio here coming up in just a little bit on, on, the, on the show here. About those major adjustments and about how Part of it was to make those adjustments, and the the five guys on the floor were able to respond and react and, and understand those adjustments, and that's demonstrated by the fact that Furphy played all 20 minutes in the second half, I believe, along with DeWan Harris uh, of that second half. Uh, let's see. Looking at the second half here, and it was, uh, yeah, Furphy and DeWan were the two players that played all 20 minutes. KJ also played all 20 minutes in the half, to be fair. Also, it was only Dickinson and, and McCullough that did not play all 20 minutes. So, again... The, just the amount of trust shown there uh, in him to not only be successful from beyond the arc, but also to be successful in terms of executing what's what's asked of him by the coaching staff and asked of this entire starting five by the coaching staff. Uh, and I think Dewan Harris also had another strong game for Kansas. And even, you know, he was even limping around. And I know it wasn't the most efficient game for him, just four of 12. And he went one of four from three, but I think at this point you got to be happy that he's willing to take those shots. And I think he needs to continue to take those shots, especially from from the outside. Did still end up scoring 11 points in the game for KU. Had seven assists, zero turnovers as well in the game for Dewan Harris in a game that he was, it appeared as though he wasn't 100%. And, you know, this is a game where Kansas gets uh, the win on the road. Now you have a week off, and it just feels like maybe things potentially started to click for KU here down the stretch of this game. And maybe with some extra time off to rest and really get settled in, they can kick it into that extra gear heading down the stretch here and pushing for the NCAA tournament. So, uh, Dewan Harris, uh, you know his aggressiveness was good, even though he even though he was just one of four. I, I liked what I saw from him, and he was good as well 
uh, in terms of his assist turnover ratio, just with seven assists to zero turnovers in the game. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, obviously, I think you've got to put him in the biggest positives here for KU. 20 points and 16 rebounds for him in the game. And talked about it last week, how he had only had one stretch in his entire career under 45% from the floor for three straight games, and that's what he had uh, for Kansas in his last three games. So it was nice to see him bounce back in this game against Oklahoma and have an impressive performance. Also, Hunter Dickinson dunking? That was that was kind of nuts, right? That was pretty great. That was pretty crazy. Probably didn't totally expect that. Uh, I don't know that I did, but uh, you know, you look at Dickinson and a nice bounce back after by far his worst game as a Jayhawk, one of the worst games of his career really when you look at his numbers. Uh, when he went 2 of 12 against Texas Tech. So, nice to see him bounce back on the road and, and have a, a solid performance uh, and a really strong performance as well for Kansas in that game. And then Kansas did a great job rebounding. I put this in the biggest positives. I think maybe take this one with a bit of a grain of salt in terms of rebounding in this game for KU because of the fact that Oklahoma was without uh, John Hughley, the guy that should be playing football instead of basketball uh, for, for them. He was out in the game, and he's their, kind of their backup big man. But Kansas out-rebounds Oklahoma 40-29, to so plus 11. They also were plus 4 on offensive rebounds. They did a good job on the offensive glass, and – yeah, I, I think that's a positive. Again, I think it's a positive with a little bit of a grain of salt knowing that Oklahoma wasn't necessarily at full strength on their front line. But still, uh, to see Kansas do that, I, I think is, is certainly something to something worth noting uh, as well. So uh, those are a lot of the biggest positives there for Kansas. When you look at some of the negatives, I think one of the biggest negatives still for me is, is injury and tiredness concerns, right? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Kevin McCuller was not at 100%. Uh, Hunter Dickinson mentioned post game which we're going to get to that audio on tomorrow's on tomorrow's show he had mentioned post game that he had been dealing with some stuff i think it's now it's clear that maybe it was more than just the, the knee injury that he dealt with earlier in the season dewan harris was limping around on the court as well so that still is the biggest concern i mean now again it's it's to me it's the biggest negative but kind of when you flip it and, the, and think okay well now you do have that this whole week off really uh i think is 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 nice because maybe this out of this particular game, it's a concern, but maybe going forward, those guys can get healthy and it won't be as significant of of a concern beyond that. But it, it is something that I am still monitoring and keeping an eye on because, to me, at this point, the biggest thing that's going to limit KU's ceiling in the NCAA tournament is is injuries, right? I mean, if if even one of their starting five is not at 95 or 100%, I think that dramatically lowers the overall ceiling of the team because they were because they rely so heavily on their starting five. So you really want those guys to be all as close to 100% as possible heading into the NCAA tournament. So that's still something I, I think I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, another negative was, I don't know, I, 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 I categorize this under slow starts. It wasn't really a slow start per se. Kansas, at the start of the game, they, they took the lead relatively early and were up 5-4. to four. Should have been 7-4 to four with the goaltending that got overturned. But that's, that's a conversation for... That's a conversation for another day. That's a conversation for another day. But uh, really, it was, and then they really did kind of go into a lull uh, for a good majority of, of the rest of that first half. You know, they 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 cut it to three at one point about halfway through the, the first half. Then Oklahoma pushed it out to 10. Then KU got it back down to about seven. Then it goes to 11 before they were able to kind of fight back late in the first half. So I don't know. Uh, slow start maybe isn't the right term for it, but. I don't know. Categorize that under negatives. Just the you know a struggle in the first half, I guess, uh, for KU. Uh, I I throw on Marco Jackson under under the negatives here for, for Kansas. Only plays four minutes and didn't play at all in the second half, uh, and uh, you know didn't 
it, if you look at him on the box score, no shots, no rebounds, no assists, no steals, one turnover and one foul for him in the game. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit perturbed. You know, just kind of perplexed at this point. I think is the right term with 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 Omarco Jackson. And you know, I asked Michael Swain early in the show about the expansion of Jamar McDowell's role, and he kind of shot that idea down. And, and look, I get it. You know, Bill Self trusts his guys, but at this stage, I mean, if at this stage, I think let's put it this way: with Jamar McDowell, I think there's a there's a pretty strong baseline of what you kind of know you're going to get. You're going to be getting a guy that is going to play hard, and he's pretty generally put on pretty good on defense. Probably going to make some probably going to make some mistakes. But it's 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 a consistent baseline of what you're going to get, and you just can't say the same thing right now about Elmarco Jackson or even really Nick Timberlake at, at either. So I, I don't know. I'm, and also, I mean, Jamar McDowell is the only player on your bench that scored in this game as well. So yeah, I don't know what to do with Elmarco Jackson at this point. Uh, another big negative: free throw shooting. Certainly, uh, this 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 is really a two a two part negative. Number one, it's a negative that you didn't get to the line at all in the first half. Number two, it's a negative that. Okay, you focus on you know being more aggressive and getting the line in the second half, only to go nine of eighteen from the free throw line. I mean, that that's got to be that's got to be very frustrating, and hopefully that's something that Kansas can address down the stretch here. Because you know the thing that with with the thing with free throw shooting for Kansas that always bothers me is you know you look at KU and the national titles that they've won. I mean, you you literally won a national title in two thousand eight because the opponent was not a good free throw shooting team. And if if I'm Bill Self. Now I'm taking that. And I'm saying, listen, free throw shooting can literally, literally, literally be the difference between you winning the national title and losing. Just ask Memphis, right? Just ask Memphis. I mean, it, it, it's it's it can it. That's how important it is. And so I, I just hope that they can maybe get that sorted out a little bit. It hadn't really been that much of an issue, uh, but it certainly roared its head here in this game against Oklahoma. And listen, Oklahoma was 14 to 15 from the free throw line in the second half, right? If if Oklahoma is able to make some more shots. And then you and you know maybe this game goes another way, and you look back and you think, oh my gosh, the, you lost the game because Oklahoma goes fourteen of fifteen from the line in the second half, and you went nine of eighteen from the line. Like that's that would have significantly been one of the reasons why you lost. Uh, so that's a big negative for me. That's a big negative, and it's just a a, a, a big negative for me in general that I just wanted to point out. Uh, biggest neutrals of the game, I put Kevin McCuller in this category. You know, thirty five minutes. He was inefficient, I, I, but I put a caveat on that. I mean, he was hurt, and Bill Self talked about how you know you don't they don't win the game without Kevin McCullough, and I think that's true. So maybe it's a little bit too harsh to throw him in the in the neutral category, but yeah, I don't know. I, I put him in the neutral, and then uh, I think you look beyond that. The bench only getting two points, but they didn't really play much. Is that a neutral? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say, but uh, I don't know. Kevin McCullough, I, I put him in the neutral category. But probably closer to positive. Four of fourteen from the floor, two of eight from three. But he did hit one of the biggest shots of the game, and he did also grab eight rebounds in the game as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe more of a positive than a neutral. But I got I got him in there for now. So, uh, that's our KU basketball takeaways as Kansas defeats Oklahoma sixty-seven to fifty-seven on Saturday afternoon. Just their second road win in conference play, uh, and coincidentally, their second road win in conference play in Oklahoma. So the state of Oklahoma has been very good to them. Every other state they've been to has been bad, but they find a way to get it done. A big win for the Jayhawks, and we'll take a timeout. We'll hear from Bill Self coming up on the other side as he gave his postgame thoughts from Kansas' win over Oklahoma, and we'll get to heroes and villains on tomorrow's show and more KU basketball talk as well with KU and Oklahoma coming up tomorrow. 
We'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCST podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD Podcasts presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.